Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the review show for episode 33 on the repeal the 8th referendum in Ireland with guest writer and activist Neve Neve-Rolone. I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope and I'll be chatting with Progress Director Richard Angel and Deputy Director Stephanie Lloyd. This episode goes out on the morning of the Irish referendum with a result expected on Saturday evening. Richard, you were out campaigning in Ireland for repeal this weekend and you spoke to some campaigners out there before we hear from them. What was the feeling like out there? Yes, I went to the Labour Party Irish Society. We went to Dublin, which is the most liberal part of Ireland, while other campaigners were able to then leave Dublin and go to the more marginal areas. It was great to see so many people out campaigning. It was a very hard thing to go and door knock about. We got an overwhelmingly positive response, but for understandable reasons, there isn't the positivity around the issue that there was in Ireland over marriage equality just a few years ago. Now, we're just going to hear from a campaigner you met out there called Eva O'Donovan, who was a first-time political campaigner, explaining why she was out campaigning for a yes vote. I've done, I've gone on marches and I've gone on, you know, different group meetings and things, but I just felt that going door to door, to door was another thing that I could do. Um, and this is the first time you've been actually out yes, campaigning, meeting yeah, your friends and neighbours. I've never, I've never campaigned actually for anything before. And I just feel this is really essential that we come up to speed and we come up to the age that we're in now. I can't believe that it's still, we're still here in Ireland, so far behind all the other countries. So... Did you find that there was a lot of first-time campaigners out there, Richard? There was absolutely loads. The people we're out with invariably were first-time campaigners or new to campaigning because of this campaign. What you've got happening in Ireland is the main, almost all the parties are supporting the reform, but the main two parties aren't really doing very much for it. And therefore, you haven't got the infrastructure of party campaigns and they're not sending out their activists in the normal way. So the Prime Minister, the head of 
Fine Gael, he and most of his cabinet are behind it with slight variations about what they want the law to be afterwards. Whereas in Fianna Foyle, the leader is supporting it, but his party is not. And so it just means you haven't got that weight of the main parties being out there campaigning. So they've had to rely on new people campaigning. But that's also made it fresh, exciting and women-led. Stephanie, do you think that this is the kind of topic that does get people who otherwise wouldn't be involved in politics kind of into it? You were saying in the show earlier in the week that it was it was your routine effectively, wasn't it? Yeah, it was totally my routine. So uh, back in uh, kind of late 2000s was when Anne Whittacombe was doing her tour around the UK trying to restrict the laws that we have here. It was one of those things where it is so personal to every woman. There is not a woman where you can think this wouldn't affect either me, my mum, my sisters, my friends. It's such a basic right that people are asking for. It is just the right to control their own bodies. So yeah, I think it really does bring people in, but it is it is a very, very difficult issue to go and campaign on and talk about because also of the personal nature of that and the fact that it is still, you know, even I will, I will very proudly always fight for a woman's right to choose, but to proclaim that even when they make that choice, it's not the most difficult decisions that people will ever make. You know, it's, it, there's nothing fun or exciting or, or joyous about any of this. Let's just hear one more clip from Eva, because she makes a really important point here. We're, we're really behind the times already. And I think if we don't pass, then we're it's another 20 or 30 years and it's humiliating and embarrassing that in a country that's meant to be progressive, that women don't have rights over their own bodies, that the constitution is there. It was put into place by men. Uh, it was put into place in a time when women didn't have as much of a say over what was happening. And I think we really need it now. We, it, it would be horrifying and I'd be really upset for my daughters and my grandchildren and for you know, future generations. We can't wait another 20 or 30 years to read. Well, good luck with this. the campaign and I really hope it goes well. Great, thank you. So there she was saying that she feels that Ireland is really behind on this. And I think that's quite interesting because essentially that almost presents this campaign not so much as being progressive and trying to move forward, but actually catching up. What do you make of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are, it is so regressive in terms of the laws that they have over there. Although if all goes well, they could be an opportunity to have some of the most progressive laws. But also it's one of those things where like they are very far behind. But as we were talking about in the podcast, it's hardly like, you know, the UK as a whole is is much better in Northern Ireland, still hugely restricted and no political party seems to be that bothered about that to put their neck out to save those women. And also, you know, we don't have particularly progressive laws here in, in England and Wales at all. Because of the nature of this being a constitutional amendment, and I think we'd all probably agree this is an issue that otherwise shouldn't normally be decided by referendum. I think Stephanie on the podcast in the week had a great thing about minority rights aren't determined by the majority and they shouldn't be put to a vote in that way. But because of the nature of this needing to be a constitutional change and therefore a referendum, because of the sense it felt that you only get this kind of vote once in a generation, you almost needed that over-tipping point to have happened to ensure it definitely doesn't go goes through and doesn't fall back because if you'd done it at a point in which it was a kind of 50% approval and you fell back to 45 you'd be pushed back for 20 years and the hope is that having had 60% approval we might be able to get 
52% or whatever going forward. And let's think like women are dying in Ireland because of this. Mm. And I think that's the point is it's, it is regressive and it is, it is literally killing women. And I think that's the point where there, there became such a tipping point around the awareness of that and the consequences of this, that I think that was what pushed it to, to be where it was. It's also remarkably a social justice issue. If you have money, you can fly over to mm-hmm. England, you can take a family member with you, you can stay in a nice hotel and it is a durable experience and you can have people around you. The less money you have, the more those elements And the get more taken dangerous away. it becomes. So you travel on your own, you go there and back in a day, you don't tell anyone you're going, you have to abscond from work and some, whatever yeah. it might be. And if you can't afford to do those, you're ordering medication off the internet, which is utterly unregulated and deeply dangerous in terms of what people are doing. So, and of course, because it's illegal, not only can you be prosecuted for that, but you can't go to a clinic and check. So in the UK, when they weren't giving out PrEP, gay men could order it off the internet and take it along to clinics. They would check whether what you'd bought was the drug that you'd actually thought you'd bought. You can't do that in Ireland with these pills. Richard, you also spoke to Ivana Bakic, uh, who's an Irish Labour Party senator, about her campaign on the abortion issue almost 30 years ago. You were out on the doorstep with her this weekend, but she had some fascinating things about this 30-year-old campaign that she was involved in. Well, I've been involved in this campaign a very long time because I first became involved 29 years ago, back in 1989, when I was president of Trinity College Dublin Students' Union, and we were taken to court and threatened with prison for giving information on abortion to women in crisis pregnancy. Because under the Eighth Amendment, at the time, it was illegal to give out information, that is the phone numbers of clinics in Britain where women could access abortion services. And uh, we were very fortunate not to be sent to prison due to a clever legal argument by our lawyer, who was Mary <laughs> Robinson, who le- later went on to become president of Ireland. Wow. But we were declared bankrupt as a result of the case. And the case went on for many years. You two are both former student union officials. Can you imagine what it would have been like facing bankruptcy and even possibly prison over a political campaign that you'd launched? I was threatened Mm. with being sued on more than one occasion in my time (laughs) as president of my student union, all of them on equality issues and all important ones and actually ones in which I think I could have taken my student body with me on being prepared to fight for some of those things. Student unions have often had a really proud history in doing that, not only in the UK or Ireland, but around the world and have pushed that envelope and I don't think this referendum would be happening without the work that USI, the NUS of Ireland, have done, without great people like Ivana, who is the most inspirational woman to go and campaign alongside. And I'm really proud that she did that. And it was such an amazing and inspiring story to her. And to have kept at it, you know, her opportunities to turn back were plentiful, but she stuck at it. And hopefully, when the referendum result comes through on Saturday at some point, she'll be vindicated. And it seems amazing as well that that story was essentially through the dissemination of information was was what had got her into trouble there. So what, one of the Labour councillors from here that came over to, to join or was part of the Labour Irish delegation that I was with, one of their chants was they would read out the phone number for the English helpline on abortion so people knew what the number was. But that was illegal. It was illegal to read out that number. And... Uh, and to give any information out on abortion at all. And so that's the kind of form the campaign took. And one of the things that's remarkable about the campaign that should be credited, and it's interesting for our politics here, the women who are fighting for this have been at the forefront and sometimes have been 
up against the most horrific abuse for having done this over the years. They've been on the rallies and the marches and the vigils. But they're going on the doorstep, not necessarily making the argument in the fully throated, passionate way they might at a rally or a demo. But having listened to how to best present their case, they're compromising in their message to make sure they achieve 100% of their outcome. And I think that requires a level of discipline that is one I respect because you had women who wanted to go and shake people on the doorstep about why they should have the right to choose, but know the way to convince them is to talk about the compassion for healthcare that Irish women deserve. And I actually thought that I have a lot of respect for those women for doing that. You also spoke to Ivana about the wider implications of the referendum vote. Let's hear what she had to say about that. And the vote will, in fact, reflect, I think, the sort of society Ireland is, whether we want to be seen as a more inclusive, equal and open society, or whether we are still going to be seen as being a conservative, uh, less inclusive and less equal society of the past. That seems to reflect what Neve said on the podcast earlier this week about how many people in Ireland felt following the equal marriage referendum a couple of years ago, which was that they enjoyed the perception of Ireland as a progressive country after years of having been seen as a socially conservative one. Did you get the impression that the last referendum felt present in this one? I think, uh, and it's one of the things that we were saying, and actually we, we were talking about this even earlier this week, I had, I'm off to Birmingham Pride, so I do lots of stuff with LGBT Labour, so I'm off to Birmingham Pride this week and I'd ordered all the glitter and we've got all the flags and we've got everything else that's that's going on with that. And I think, you know, one, the gays, we're just fabulous at branding ourselves. I mean, you know, we, we know how to throw a good party and do all the rest of it. And like the reason why it's still a protest is because we are proud, happy, of who we are, what we do and, and who we love. And I think the crux of it about that one is it's about love. As I was saying earlier, the thing that's so different when it comes to this referendum is the fun, the fundamentals about the fact it's about people's rights over their own bodies and what they do with those is there. The joy and the hope and the the difficulty that some of these things and the, the kind of issues these people face are just so different. Yeah, your right to options in a crisis is very different to your right to love all year round. Mm. And that is, I think, very different than nature. What was amazing is the solidarity that has come from the LGBT community in the fight. And LGBT activists have, I think, disproportionately made up the people campaigning for repeal of the 8th because they knew that women were with them in the referendum that they had on marriage equality, but also because they feel most this sense of we want to be a progressive country. And having made this leap forward, they now want to bring in other things alongside it. And you know, the divorce vote was so tight when it went to referendum in Ireland. I think it was won by between 50 and 51% of the vote that people don't want this sense it could slip again. And they want that direction of travel to maintain. Fingers crossed that that's reflected outside of Dublin. We've got one more clip from Ivana, which begins with her reflecting about the practicalities of all of this. This isn't about whether or not abortions happen, because we know that thousands of Irish women travel to England every year for abortion, about nine or ten women every day, and that more import the pill every year, the abortion pill, into Ireland to... Uh, to um, to use it here at home but of course they do so under threat of criminal sanction and without any medical support or supervision so the vote isn't really about whether abortion happens because we know it's happening every day for Irish women it's just where it happens whether in England or in secrecy here in Ireland or whether we can actually allow it happen in an open legal framework uh, um, and with proper medical support and, and care for women. And what does it mean if it doesn't pass? 
it's going to be very serious, I think, for women here if it doesn't pass, because not only will we see, I think, a real boost for the no side with all their conservative values around Catholicism, around women's place, around lack of access to sex education, but I think very clearly we'll also see uh, a rise in uh, criminal investigations and prosecutions of women who are importing pills for their own use. It's a very worrying scenario. And if you get the yes vote, how will you feel after 29 years of campaigning on this issue? Um, it would be an immense relief. I mean, this is not, it's not going to be a happy vote like marriage equality was in 2015 for us here in Ireland. This is not an issue that is as easy to talk about. Uh, many people are very troubled by it. And no woman, of course, wants to have an abortion. But I think if we wake up on the 26th and the vote, the yes vote is won, we will know we live in a more equal and inclusive Ireland. And it would be an immense relief to all of us who have campaigned for so many years for change. Thank you very much. Okay, Good luck. Thank you. So that point at the beginning there about this isn't about whether abortions happen, it's about how they happen. That seems to be a really important element of uh, the repeal campaign's argument. Does, is, is it at the forefront of, of... Yeah, I mean, they will happen. Like, you can make abortion illegal, they will still happen because women will still be in situations where that is what they absolutely have to do in order, you know, in, in, in for themselves. But what, what this does is it stops, it basically, it, you know, it stops women have to do it in the back streets of things with medication that they can't have any regulation over or having to fly over and do, um, you know, and not getting the proper the proper support that goes along with that. Like this is, you know, whether, uh, whether you want to or not, like this is a traumatic experience for everybody that has to go through it. And basically it's whether or not you say, we don't really care. We're just proclaiming that we don't want it. Therefore, what that means is actually what you don't want to do is give women any protection whatsoever over that situation um, and not about whether or not they will happen. It's just a complete fallacy to think if you make it illegal, they won't happen. What you've seen from the No campaign over in Ireland is trying to suggest that this is a choice about whether abortion happens. And Ivana's right to point that out. They've used horrific imagery. It's been very influenced by campaigns in the US, which is where this original constitutional amendment came from uh, was essentially an export of the United States and their politics on this very issue. And that is obviously uh, pretty unpleasant to behold. And getting that case across, I think is, and, and that's why it feels that there's a kind of tipping point on this issue is that this is not a choice about whether abortions happen, it's whether they happen safely, legally, and with people's friends and families in a way that can help them have those choices. The other thing that the No campaign have done, which has been particularly pernicious, is suggest that somehow better welfare benefits, somehow more support uh, being in place would reduce the need to even have abortions in the first place. The very people running the No campaign are the essentially Catholic establishment of Ireland that have been running it for hundreds of years. If they wanted a generous benefit system and to have the best childcare in the world, Nothing has been stopping them for the last 100 years from having that welfare reform, the benefit rights, the uh, best childcare in the world, if that's what they wanted. But for various reasons, the political establishment and the Irish state haven't organised itself in that way. And so just that now at this point feels to me to be pretty underhand. The final point before we need to wrap up is something that Ivana said, that uh, it's going to be very serious for women if it doesn't pass. And actually... My the impression I got from speaking to Neve Neve Rulone earlier in the week was that she had a sense of dread about the results. I saw um, the Irish journalist Padre Greedy um, tweeting about it during the week as well, that he was waking up with a sense of dread. Even a, fr- a friend of mine, Fiona, who's, who's Irish, 
she's barely been able to talk about it this week because she almost she doesn't want to jinx it. And and I think there is a real sense that what will happen if we don't win, and and they don't really want to think about it. And that feels like perhaps if we do get a good result on Saturday and and, and the yes vote wins, there won't be so much joy, but I think there'll be a hell of a lot of relief. I was talking to Deirdre Costigan, the Labour councillor from Ealing that came over with me. She's from Dublin, just where we were campaigning, actually. And we were kind of on our way to the airport. And both was like, why the hell are we leaving this fight early? Like, it was a really odd thing to kind of have to come home and be here while this is happening. It's like they are at the frontier and the front line of equality politics right now. And obviously, we're wishing and willing them well. But, you know, you just... Slightly kind of, and my stomach turns every single time I think about it because it's not only it's it's not only that it's such a rejection in terms of that, but it's the the consequences that that will then have as well for those women over in Ireland. And but also, I think it's one of the things as well is even even if it does go well, which you know absolutely everything crossed, I hope it does. You then will move on to what will the new legislation be, and I think that is going to be just as difficult you know it will be just as unpleasant in terms of fighting for that but also you know fighting for equality is is hard and is difficult because there's a reason why why it doesn't exist in the first place tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the amazon music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Well, we do need to wrap up there. Uh, quickly, um, obviously, every week I ask a political pub quiz question this week was on this topic. I asked the Irish Abortion Rights Campaign, originally called the Irish Choice Network, was founded in 2012 in which Dublin hotel? Uh, well done to Yaisal Fusif and Terence Smith, who both got that right. Within seconds of each other on Twitter, it was the Gresham Hotel. Please do send uh, your names and address to office at progressonline.org.uk and we'll put a mug in the post for you. If you've had a previous question right and have had no mug, please have, do get in touch. We've got loads now. We've got, we've we've got, got loads. We've we want to give them out. And we'll sort that out for you. We'll be back on Tuesday with a special guest, Yasha Monk, to talk about the death of liberal democracy. Do remember to send in any comments and questions you have. Leave a review, rate and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast with Connor Pope and Richard Angel. The music is When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And this episode was produced by Carolyn Crampton. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.